Welcome to the 431st episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thanks for listening. Happy May. So I was just looking at some of my emails and um, I wear a Garmin watch and there are badges um, that you can get for challenges and you might want to check if you have health insurance because there are um, often health insurance discounts that you can get if you log some physical activity. Uh, if you have a Garmin device, there are challenges every month. There's uh, one this month for Run the Star Wars Galaxy, so 100 minutes of running throughout the month. Um, there are even a badge that you can get some 25% uh, off of a kid's Vivio Fit. Uh, but uh, May Warrior, um, a yoga challenge. There are some strength training ones, uh, bicycle ones, steps a day, 10,000 steps a day. We tell people get a minimum of 10,000 steps a day. Uh, the badge would you'd earn if you had 300,000 steps for the month. So it's something to look into. If you have health insurance, you want to cut some costs, it's, it's always a, a, a good thing to look. And sometimes it can be used as a motivator. Um, a lot of times, well, I heard it this week, I don't have time to do whatever exercise um, was being asked of them or I don't have time to do this. And we all know that we have time to do things that we want to do. Um, and we can certainly say we don't have time to do things when we're not crazy about. But sometimes certain things make it easier than others. Um, you know, to this day, I lay my running clothes out the night before everything's ready to go so I don't have to scramble in the morning in the dark trying to figure out what I'm going to wear and take extra time, especially if you're trying to, um, you know, get out before work or get out in the dark. So, you know, little things that, that can help you uh, stay motivated. I've talked before, I use a calendar, I put to fill in the boxes, even though Garmin Connect, uh, you have all your workouts and runs are there, but um, I like looking at that little calendar every day and, and knowing what I have. And Speaking of that, um, next up for me is the Leadville Silver Rush 50 miler in July, and I'm a little injured, self-induced, um, too much, too quick, um, didn't think it was necessarily possible, but it was. A few weeks ago, I was talking about um, doing some hops and small, uh, and, and looking to improve my fast twitch fibers. Well, I think I um, kind of hurt my arch uh, ligaments tendon around my ankle a little bit doing those in a combination with some hill sprints and tire pulls and uh, various other plyometric exercises. Um, should know better, too much too fast, but um, I guess I was just so baffled that I couldn't hop down the road on one foot that I kept practicing and uh, to the point where I kind of um, have a little bit of a sore foot now. So I've been taking it easy, um, but that doesn't mean I haven't been doing anything. Um, I've been walking and it doesn't bother me to walk uphill. So I'm getting my Leadville Hill training. So I'm doing 11 to 14% grade and trying to walk as fast as I can. And that's actually getting better. I'm pulling a tire. The tire bothers my arch just a little bit, but um, actually things are getting better. So I'm about a weekend to my recovery. 
um, step up my mobility. It's amazing how one thing starts to hurt and other things doesn't. Uh, usually I have trouble with, you know, my back being a little tight. I have to make sure I'm doing all those stretches, keep my back loose. My back's nice and loose. It's my foot that's tight. So I'm, uh, you know, working on um, strengthening, mobilizing, uh, rolling, thumping uh, to get my calf muscles loose, to get that arch and to keep my ankle uh, mobility. So I guess that's something that I, I'm going to need to pay more attention to. I have a um, rocker board or wobble board at work um, that I get on um, and float around in. That helps. I also have a power plate at the office that uh, is like a to total body vibration uh, thing that... Um, may help a little bit, so I've been trying that as well. So um, a little ice at night if it's swollen. But I think I'm about 85% better. Ran a little further today. I managed to run three miles uh, easy, gingerly, uh, without much stopping, and then uh, went uh, to the treadmill to walk the rest and do my tire pull. So I think I'll be all right. Probably the rest was a little bit good. Um, but um, we'll see. Um, plyometrics for people that don't know it's basically um, somewhat of a jumping or a more force into things so you may um, um, jump from one foot to the other jump off of a step and then rebound up so it's looking to increase that isometric force into the ground to kind of build stiffness so that you can generate more force so it's a good thing um, it tells me, again, with the injury, that I need to work on uh, my feet more, um, which, you know, it's better to find it now than, than, you know, in Leadville. So, anyway, that's where we are. As far as the backyard garden, I am so happy to report that we finally have grown our own sapodillas. Um, it's a white sapodilla. If you've never had it, you should look it up. You should find them. They are like... I would, the closest I can tell you to, if you haven't had one, they taste like a brown sugar pear. Um, skin like a kiwi, but you can actually eat the skin. Um, and the inside is, is kind of brown. There's four, two or four seeds in them, um, but really soft, very, very, very sweet. Um, and we're ha kind of happy to find out that the tree is kind of the, is a variety that'll actually produce fruit almost all year round now. So there's still a few growing left to pick and there's some small ones starting. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I looked out today and there might be the beginning of a banana flower. I'm not quite sure, but I'm, I'm hopeful. So that's exciting. Mango season was kind of taken away by Hurricane Ian. Our trees were uh, pretty much pummeled. Um, they're coming back, but not enough to fruit. We have one little tree that was um, actually had a lot of mangoes on it, more mangoes than leaves probably. Um, and then we had a big windstorm here uh, a week or so ago and pretty much blew all the fruit off. So we have like two mangoes hanging. So that's kind of sad. Garden, tomatoes, um, got a giant pepper tree going on the... Uh, or pepper plant going on my tower garden with just jalapeno peppers hanging everywhere. So that's really good. I actually uh, fermented some of those this week. So if you, uh, again, fermented vegetables are, are great for your gut microbiome. So I sliced them up and did a combination of uh, uh, heated up some salt water and poured that, uh, the peppers over that and let them sit out for two or three days. So they've got some nice heat. I actually tried 
Um, some of my previously pickled okra, I thought it might be bad, but they're delicious and they've been sitting in jars for quite some time. So that's all good. So, you know, anytime you get a chance, if you have leftover cabbage or any kind of vegetables, carrots, whatever you have, instead of, uh, you know, before they, they get too old, go ahead and, and ferment them into jars and, you know, you know, have your own pickled relish or pickled vegetable, um, that can be great for the addition to salad. So if you have some pickled vegetables along with some sprouts and some greens, uh, it's a makings of a great lunch. Um, I, after talking to the sprout guy, I really enjoy sauerkraut on my salads as well. Again, another source of uh, probiotics. So uh, we can always make our gut microbiome better. Um, it doesn't take that long to make some of these things. So uh, give it a try. Don't have to have any particular talents, just uh, a couple mason jars and uh, a little time at the kitchen counter chopping. While we're on the topic of our gut microbiome, um, one thing that people probably don't associate mushrooms with is actually um, aiding to improve the gut microbiome. Um, mushrooms do a lot of things. I've talked as far as their anti-cancer benefits with regard to breast cancer, but uh, mushrooms also have, um, have been shown to have uh, anti-neoplastic or anti-cancer benefits when it comes to glioblastomas, lung cancer, leukemias, breast, liver. Um, so just about any cancer can be benefited by uh, taking in mushrooms. Um, the cordyceps mushroom, um, so typically we get um, mushrooms, people see portobello mushrooms, either the big ones or baby portobello mushrooms. Uh, one thing I learned uh, recently was that the little um, button mushrooms are just the precursors to the um, baby bellas and, and the like. So they just are grown bigger for the most part. There can be different varieties, but uh, for the most part, they're um, very, very similar or the same variety, just grown bigger. Um, it's easy to find, or I guess a, a lot of stores will have... Um, you know, the shiitake, mataki, um, we can get uh, turkey, uh, not turkey tail, but we get oyster mushrooms. Um, there's a store around here we can get lion's mane. Lion's mane mushroom has been shown to have, um, uh, be very good for uh, brain health and um, actually has been shown to uh, slow the progression of dementia in early Alzheimer's patients. So lion's mane uh, mushrooms is something to um, uh, look into. The other one that um, I like to use, different, you know, mushrooms, different flavors, use them for different things, but the king oyster mushrooms, I recently got some that weren't giant. They were kind of medium size, and we actually um, breaded them and um, uh, with a, you know, a panko, well, actually it was more of a collard, cauliflower crisp and um, marinate them a little bit and put them in the air fryer and they were really good as a, a side dish but you can use the lion manes are very meaty uh, if you chop I'm not lion manes I'm sorry the um, king oyster uh, cutting them short ways they kind of look like a scallop um, you can use them kind of to sub in as a calamari uh, so it's all about the seasoning Mushroom powders are very um, popular. Some people use them as a replacement of the coffee or with coffee. Um, you have to be careful about um, the 
certification. Um, a while back, I had the guys from realmushroom.com who are very certified, uh, have very good certified mushrooms, um, and uh, actually third-party certified, and their powders are uh, pretty much guaranteed to have the same amount or milligrams of uh, mushrooms as mushroom powder from batch to batch. So that's really good if you're trying to use it more as a medicinal uh, type treatment. I actually uh, use uh, turkey tail um, mushroom powder on my dog's food. I have a dog that's not uh, in the best of health. She's getting old and has some leg problems. Um, so I thought, uh, you know, we'll let them give that um, to boost her potential anti-cancer benefits and in her immune system. Cordyceps mushrooms are um, really unique in that they are um, originally grown in the Himalayas and they grow uh, via, via an arthropod or through an arthropod, particularly their caterpillars. They are, uh, you know, they have some of the highest anti-cancer benefits of all the mushrooms. Um, obviously, um, you can imagine, you know, being able to get um, Himalayan cordyceps mushrooms. Luckily, they're grown, um, you know, other places now, and they're actually grown with rice as opposed to the anthropods, but uh, their anti-cancer properties are still there. They work by mimicking um, a nucleotide that actually blocks uh, and, uh, and induces cell death for cancer cells. They also block several other pathways that uh, are not unlike chemotherapeutic drugs, such as uh, kinase inhibitors and GSK 3B, various different um, drugs that are thousands of dollar drugs out on the market. As the cordyceps muscle, uh, mushrooms have some of these properties. Um, so they, they block growth factors for the tumor cells. Because they are um, like a denison, they are also very um, high as far as antioxidants and support immune function and have been shown to um, uh, potentiate um, tumor necrosis factor, interleukin 10, 12, 8, 6, and 2. So uh, again, work in a lot of ways to settle the immune system down as well as um, you know, induce um, cell death for abnormal cells. So um, that's a, uh, you know, another good property of mushrooms. The beta-glucan, which is actually the fibrous part of the, the mushroom, and it's actually not digestible, but it is very good for your uh, gut microbiome and, uh, again, to restore a healthy gut. Um, so, you know, eat your mushrooms, eat a variety of mushrooms, eat them different ways, um, consider mushroom powder if you're sick. Um, there's, you know, the, the powders are, obviously you'll get the, amount of mushrooms that's, you know, kind of similar across the board, especially if they're certified. Again, I am a fan of the realmushrooms.com um, folks, but, um, you know, just make sure that everything is certified. Um, the buzzword I've also been running into this week is eating clean. Um, everybody eats clean. Nobody eats dirty. Um, but I don't know what that means. Um, clean food, clean hands, clean prep. Um, most of the time people say they eat clean when they're eating what they believe is to be healthy. 
So it could be eating clean meat that's grass-fed or pasture-raised eggs, I suppose, um, wild-caught fish. Um, but the reality of it is none of those things are clean. They're dead, and they're associated with bacteria. Um, the excretion of another animal, uh, which is milk, um, there's, just, there's pus allowed. There's just no way that that can be considered clean in any state uh, of the affairs. But you hear it all over the place. Um, and, you know, I, uh, again, it, it becomes a way to justify what people want to eat. I offered to convert um, a Hungarian lady's recipe uh, into a plant-based recipe. So she brought me in a recipe from her Hungarian cookbook. And it was pretty quick that I, you know, I'm going to fail miserably at trying to convert this recipe to make it taste if somebody actually truly remembers what Hungarian goulash would be. Um, the first thing it started out with was four slices of bacon and you um, kind of get that in a Dutch oven so it's hot and get all the bacon grease off and then you take the bacon out and then you cook beef or some sort of, you know, uh, sliced slab of meat into that grease. Then you take that out and you put some onions in and some berries, but then you put that meat back in and you add some more, you know, I think they thickened it with butter. So, I mean, um, obviously all that would have to come out of the recipe. The only thing that, that was kind of salvageable was the onions and garlic and uh, you could add tomatoes or you could do, um, they even had one recipe with beef tongue. Um, so, um, you know, you could substitute in um, beans um, probably even soy curls as somewhat of a meat uh, if you wanted to. Um, but obviously you're not going to have all that grease involved uh, with, and, you know, um, with that recipe. I can only imagine what that must have looked like. You probably have an inch of grease on top of that when it cools. But, you know, you can take the spices, the Hungarian spices, marjoram, paprika, garlic. Um, there were caraway seeds in one. You can use all those spices. Um, you can use carrots, you can use celery, you know, tomatoes, that's, that's all good. So keep, keep going, you know, onions, garlics, leeks. Um, and then, you know, again, you know, use beans or even a mushroom might be, a, a, you know, uh, a way to put in there that would substitute in. But when someone's used to eating really, really greasy, um, you're, you're certainly not, there's no way to healthfully substitute that. Um, so... Uh, hopefully you could still, you know, you, if by, by using the spices, though, you'll get the herbs, you'll get the smells, um, you know, and um, given enough time uh, away from that bad food, it, you know, will start to taste pretty good because, again, you're, it's how things smell um, more so than, you know, or as well as that greasy, greasy, greasy taste. It kind of amazes me. People are more worried about lectins, which are in potatoes and grains and beans. Of course, beans get thrown under the bus because nobody really wants to eat the beans, but they're not worried about the saturated fat and the nitrites associated with bacon and all that and the salt and everything else. Um, I'd much rather eat clean with beans uh, and potatoes and carrots and spices than uh, the greasy. Uh, but you can see... Way back when, um, trying to feed a large family um, with little money, uh, you had to make things last uh, and stretch things out. Uh, the fat added a lot of calories, so 
um, keeping people full on a, on a budget uh, is where that, that came in. A lot of times we associate um, our comfort foods or our ethnic foods as being great, but the reality of it was they were trying to feed their family being very poor and how to stretch a goulash or like a soup, uh, a stew, try to stretch that out to feed a big family, you know, with some bread, I'm suppose. And, um, so a little bit of meat uh, and bacon, you know, uh, would flavor things and the bacon grease would flavor things to stretch that out and again, give calories. Same way with soul food, um, it's pretty much was slave food. So um, African-Americans were, were given the you know, leftovers of various parts of the animal and, they, and um, they learned to make dishes that were quite palatable uh, using various spices. So soul food is thought to be something that they want to eat now to maintain their heritage. But the reality of it is the heritage is, is that of uh, a time when um, they weren't treated very poor, very, very kindly. So, um, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the glamour of foods that were brought down, uh, passed down through the generation. But when you really think about it, it was not really because they wanted to back then. It was because they had to. And so we have a choice now. We have an abundance of food and we have the ability to make things healthy. Um, so, uh, you know, take the basics and look to see the nutrients. So again, getting mushrooms into things uh, to help the immune system, anti-cancer benefits, uh, memory benefits, um, is, a, is a far better thing to focus on than bacon grease and, and, and so forth. Uh, looking at the colorfulness of the plate, looking at the different spices, you know, spices that in and of themselves have a lot of uh, anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory characteristics, cumin, turmeric, ginger, garlic, um, all have a lot of medicinal type properties that, um, and if you can get the um, herb itself, uh, that's great. Fresh garlic, better than, you know, powdered garlic, but um, however you have to get it, um, using those spices can also help the nutritional pro profile and benefits of your dish. I had a bit of a challenge um, this week. Um, an elderly patient came into the practice um, wanting to get better medical care. And our practice is aimed at providing great medical care, but also nutritional care and movement in order to get people off of their medications and to allow their bodies to heal. And so some people aren't quite ready for that. Um, and if they weren't used to cooking or have no desire to cook, it, it, makes, it makes it difficult. But nevertheless, uh, when we see someone that's very, you know, that's sick, we, we try to address not only their nutritional needs, but um, look at the medications that they're on and see the risks versus the benefits. Um, you know, statins are given to everyone who's had a stroke, but not everyone who's had a stroke can tolerate statins. And the hospitals get reimbursed by Medicare if they discharge a patient that's had a stroke on a statin. But if, you're, if you have kidney disease or liver disease and you're given a statin, it might make those conditions worse. So while your cholesterol may be lowered and perhaps you might have a little bit lower risk of a stroke, but minuscule, especially when you get to the age of 89, there are no studies looking at um, people in their 80s and above in statin therapies over time. There's just not enough data. 
Um, but we do know that um, they have the potential to make kidney liver function worse uh, and increase the risk of diabetes. So we can take someone that's not doing very well and make them a lot worse with the choice of some medications. And that's kind of what I saw this week. So someone reflexively not only um, had somebody on this uh, statin um, that had kidney and liver problems, but they upped the dose after hospitalization. Um, same way with um, you know, blood thinners in people that, you know, so the whole patient, uh, the kidney function, the liver function is very important. And as we get older, those organs are much more fragile. And unfortunately, it's in the older people that, peop that the medications start to accumulate. And um, medications are often given incorrectly in duplicate. Um, they're taken wrong and can cause a whole lot more problems. And you know, I would uh, guess a fair amount of dementia is actually accelerated or made worse by having a patient been over-medicated. I remember I had an aunt that I visited when I was first in medical school, and she showed me her shoebox full of pills, and she, her, actually her family did. She was kind of in a stupor state. And she was on multiple medications for uh, helping her to sleep and helping with tremors and medications to, to combat the side effect of other medications. And there were duplicates of medications because um, prescriptions were written. Um, oftentimes, um, people will increase someone's medicine and send a new prescription, but they don't really communicate the stop the other medication or how to change it. Uh, the pill boxes and the pill bottles get confused and... Um, you know, we think people are deteriorating mentally when they're basically just over-medicated. So if you are, um, you know, if you have multiple prescriptions, you know, really ask why and have somebody explain what are these medications for. Um, look at the dosages, look at the bottles. If you have a loved one that you're putting the, the medications out for, again, uh, be their advocate. Make sure that there's not duplicate medications right on the bottles, you know, not taking, separate them out, putting them in a cabinet, medications that are no longer in use. Um, because it can be, you know, again, it's a, it's a giant problem, um, you know, when, when people try to sort this out. Now pharmacists are given the ability to prescribe medications. So if people come in with a symptom, you know, they can be given medication. And again, uh, nobody really knows their labs or, or what the rest of their body's like. They're just treating a symptom with a medication that may have other symptoms. I guess it's good for the pharmaceutical industry because uh, multiple medications mean, means more money. But um, the reality of it is, you know, we spend most of our time trying to get people off of their medications. And, you know, this particular person, we were able to stop things and then we'll reassess her function and hopefully we can get, you know, uh, improvement in her kidneys and liver. The other thing that we have to look at is nutrition and the role uh, of nutrition in uh, liver disease and kidney disease. Um, you know, with the medications, most of the medications, your medications, everything is filtered either through the kidneys or the liver. So um, a lot of the medications are, are filtered by enzymes in the liver and the liver may not be working so good and the medications, just the number of medications build up on, on them and, and cause the liver problems um, or may be toxic to the liver or toxic to the kidneys. But nutrition also plays a role uh, when you have someone that um, already has issues. Animal protein accelerates kidney failure 
in people that already have what we call renal insufficiency or abnormal kidney function. So the more animal protein that they're exposed to, the quicker their kidneys will deteriorate and the higher the risk of needing dialysis. It's not intuitive because we think if somebody's uh, losing protein through their urine, that they need more protein in through the top, but it's kind of like the uh, person, you know, um, sucking water up through a shop back and the water coming out the other end. Um, you don't really get anywhere, or you're trying to mop up the floor when the water is running over the sink. Putting more protein in, protein's a giant molecule that forces, uh, puts a lot of pressure on the kidneys. If you think putting pressure on a a net that has holes in it, just more and more, the, the holes continue to get bigger the more protein that you put in. So actually decreasing the protein in the diet um, will actually help the kidneys to be able to heal some of those holes and you can actually decrease the protein that's, that's being filtered through the kidneys or decrease the proteins that are actually end up in the urine. So, you know, it was a shock to shocked when I, you know, met with these people because, um, you know, they thought um, weight loss was a, was a good thing. Uh, the person actually started intermittent, was put on an intermittent fasting diet to lose weight, and, and they did lose weight, but at the expense of poor nutrition and constipation and more medications and higher protein and worsening kidney function. Unfortunately, they hadn't, the person hadn't been told. They had labs ordered by their uh, former physician, but nobody called to tell them um, what the labs were. So a lot of times people's abnormal labs are followed, so to speak, but they're not intervened upon uh, or communicated with the patient uh, because I guess people think there's nothing to be done. Somebody's old, they have poor kidney function, oh well. Um, but there is a lot we can do to improve kidney function. We've seen it, in, it, we've seen it reverse in our office in numerous people. So um, don't, don't give up uh, if the kidneys aren't working right, the liver's not working right. It's, again, you got to take the stress off of them. Um, so if you're expecting your liver to get better in the face of having to metabolize a bunch of different medications, it's probably not going to work. If you're expecting your liver to get better when you're eating toxins, eating more heavy metals, eating um, high fat diet that, that causes the um, tubules to get blocked uh, with cholesterol and stress the gallbladder, or even if you don't have a gallbladder, you can see how everything um, kind of snowballs and everything gets worse. Doesn't have to. The other thing is very toxic and um, can actually bring on dementia or be the straw that breaks the dementia's back or, or the camel's back, so to speak, with regard to dementia is anesthesia. We think that either MAC anesthesia, which um, is a form of anesthesia that's short acting, uh, that doesn't suppress respirations to the point that a person needs to be on a ventilator, um, that that's a safe and effective um, anesthesia. It's given for colonoscopies, cataract surgery, cosmetic surgeries. But um, we know that, you know, anytime you stop brain function or you deal with, uh, you know, they all have amnestic effects so people can't remember right away. Uh, it can accelerate dementia in people. And certainly, um, you know, more aggressive forms of anesthesia that require intubation for major surgeries such as orthopedic surgeries or abdominal surgeries or cancer surgeries um, can be even worse on cognition. And there was a study uh, published recently 
that looked at the six-year cognitive decline after a major surgery. And, you know, we've seen this in our practice before elderly people get um, hip replacement or knee replacement or whatever, and then postoperatively they're given narcotics for pain and the anesthesia and they become delirious. They don't know where they are and they're very, very confused. It can last for uh, 48 hours. Um, it can last for months, and sometimes the dementia doesn't clear. And, um, you know, this is exactly what this study um, suggested was that over a 72-month follow-up, six years, there was a 40% acceleration in the slope of cognitive decline so that, you know, again, a hip or knee replacement can make someone... Um, um, really accelerate with dementia and it's not just for that time period but it continues over a six month six year period um and of course you know a lot of times when people are getting old enough that they're needing one knee two knees a hip a knee um elective other elective surgeries um and then people start doing um screening surgery screening procedures that need anesthesia uh, you can see how we are contributing as a medical profession to cognitive decline. So if you get a hip replacement and then have a colonoscopy and cataract surgery in the same year, it can really set somebody up for dementia. There's been studies come out recently that show that the reality of it is a full colonoscopy does not um, save lives. Um, much different than um, if you do a FIT test or other screening tests. Um, there has been some uh, increased survival with uh, flexible sigmoidoscopies, which is just looking at the, at the right side of the colon. Um, I'm sorry, left side, descending the descending colon. But again, to screen people that are 80, 85, that have no symptoms, and we give them anesthesia is not a service for these people. So again, we have to individualize our medical care in this country and not screen everybody just because we can. Blanket statements aren't working. Um, it clogs the system. Um, you know, we have trouble getting x-rays or imaging studies on people because so many people are getting imaging studies that are just screening imaging. Um, people aren't looking at them just because they're, they're, you know, because there's a protocol. So I think it's really important, um, again, if it's you or a loved one, that you ask why and are the risk versus the side effects of the particular therapy or procedure. And, um, you know, look over time, what can you do? Um, you know, uh, less elective surgeries, more mushrooms may prevent uh, significant dementia. Uh, we don't know. On the other hand, um, you know, it is a setup for um, dementia when we're doing a poor diet that decreases um, kidney and liver function, uh, which leads to decreased toxin clearance, so more a toxin uh, accumulation, heavy metal accumulation in the brain, the heart, other organs. Add that to cataract surgery and some other elective surgeries. Uh, you can see that we're not making the health of older individuals uh, better, um, and it's and it's getting worse quickly. So, um, protocol medicine um, is just not good medicine. 
um, I think we have to take the, the patient into uh, consideration, person into consideration. Um, and so if you don't have an advocate, uh, try to find one. Uh, and if you are an advocate for your family member, um, you know, ask questions. You deserve to have, you deserve to, to get answers. Um, I still believe the body can heal if you take away the inflicting insults and you give it a chance to heal. And um, some, for some reason, the medical establishment has put pressure on people so they feel that they have to act and they have no other choice than to accept some of these toxic therapies uh, when in reality they, they truly make things worse. So if you'd like to know more about our practice and how we try to help people um, understand what's going on, get them off of medications, allow their body to heal, work with them, to educate them so that they can make the best choice, go over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com and uh, check it out. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. I have mentioned uh, in the past... Uh, that I use a water distiller from Aqua Nui, which is a um, Nebraska-based company that I really like. Um, they have um, been generous uh, to give some discount if you uh, go over to their website, and, and we'll make some links on the, at the, on the website on how to get there. But uh, you can put clean water for Sophie in and uh, get a discount on uh, their distillers if you have some interest um, but uh, they're good products i've had mine for years now um, and i'm very very happy with with how how it works um, if you're going to go to the point of eating clean food vegetables and whole grains you need to cook them in in, in water that is not contaminated and over the years looking at what comes out of the water from our city water um, you would be amazed so if you have some interest, go over and check that out. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to um, sharing another podcast and uh, sharing another podcast with you next week. So, pass it along to your friends. Have a good week. Thanks for listening.